0: Today's episode may not be suitable for children under 12. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome to the Story King podcast, where great stories are read, discussed, and given their due honor. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today we'll be talking about methods for writing longer stories. So today is the first installment of writing advice for the podcast. I'm calling these episodes Story King Tips. And the first topic we're dealing with will be methods for writing longer stories. I'll be going over three in particular, interweaving storylines, multiple perspectives, and then we'll talk a little bit about the use of flashbacks. But why talk about any of this in the first place? Perhaps you're already a novelist and you don't struggle with writing long form fiction, in which case this episode may not be for you. But if you're like me, you might need some help. I'm primarily a short story and novella writer. I can write up to 20,000 words comfortably, but beyond that, it starts falling apart for me. I can't keep the story together, I get bored with it, and I hate fluff. I want my stories to have the least amount of erroneous information, I don't want needless scenes, and generally, I'm always able to tell stories in a relatively short time span. For me, even 5,000 words is already too long for a short story. I write them sometimes, but I usually feel like I've done something wrong, like I'm being long-winded or something. I'm much more comfortable keeping my fiction short, so writing a full-fledged novel has been a dream, but a challenge for me. So I've been thinking about different ways of writing longer stories based on things I've read and movies I've seen, so we're going to discuss them today. So first up, the interweaving storyline. Out of the three, I think this is the most effective method to put in your writing toolbox. Now, obviously, novels always have subplots that connect in some way. It could be a thriller, but within it, there's a love story happening with the protagonist, and maybe there's some other relational issues or something. Game of Thrones, if you're familiar with the series, was always following different characters in every episode. They, of course, connected at certain points and were related to one another and generally building towards some climax. But what I mean specifically by interweaving storylines is when there's basically different narratives that connect in some odd way. So typically when you're watching a movie, for example, in the first 20 to 30 minutes, there's the setting and setup, what's normal for the character, a problem is introduced, internal or external, this is Act 1. Then there's an inciting incident that catapults the hero into Act 2, the adventurous journey, he or she now has to overcome obstacles to achieve a new normal, The stakes get higher, everything comes to a climax, a final battle of some sort, the hero defeats the antagonist and achieves the goal. Act 3 is the resolution, all the loose ends get tied up, new normal, the end. Generally a straight line from point A to B, right? But there's another type of storytelling I've found really compelling lately, and that's when there are separate stories within a larger frame. I'm sure there are many other examples I could have chosen, but I want to talk about a particular movie I saw recently called Life Itself. Life Itself is a 2018 film. My wife and I went into it not knowing what to expect. We didn't read anything about it. We actually thought it was going to be a lighthearted chick flick, not the epic drama it ended up being. We were both pretty blown away by it, though. I really dug it, and they employed this interweaving storyline method brilliantly. By the way, there will be a lot of spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't seen any of the movies we're talking about, you may want to go and watch them first and come back to the podcast. That's your fair warning. Otherwise, here we go. So the movie life itself is basically broken up into five parts. It opens up with Samuel Jackson as the narrator, and he's telling the story of a guy talking to his therapist. Their session ends, and the therapist... Leaves the office, she's in Manhattan, she's crossing the street, and some guy, played by Oscar Isaac, sees the therapist and recognizes her, and says something like, I'm a big fan. She looks back at him in the middle of the street and smiles, and then she gets hit by a bus and killed. Samuel Jackson is there and sees the accident, and he's just like, "Eff it, I'm out. Then it cuts to a disheveled and disturbed Oscar Isaac, sitting at a Starbucks, finishing up, writing the scene I just described. It's a screenplay he's typing out. And this goes with one of the overall themes of the film about the unreliable narrator, which we will learn turns out to be Life Itself, hence the title. So now the movie is being narrated by someone else, a female voice, but we don't know who just yet. We're now following Will Dempsey, Oscar Isaac's character, and he is on his way to see his therapist, the same one who got hit by a bus in a screenplay, by the way, to talk about his struggles with his wife leaving him. A lot of this part of the movie is told in flashbacks. We learn about how Will and Abby, his wife, met in college. We learn Will is a super passionate man, loves Abby with every ounce of his being. Abby is a Bob Dylan fan. Will and Abby get married. We see that Abby is pregnant in one of the flashbacks. We also flashback to Will crying at a restaurant table and pleading with Abby to come back to him. But all of this also turns out to be unreliable, as we soon learn that Abby did not leave Will but instead was hit by a bus and killed in the same way his fictional therapist in a screenplay was. Will and Abby are walking from his parents' house, they're crossing the street, and he tells her he knows what she wants to name their daughter, Dylan, by the way, and then the accident happens. Will runs to Abby in the middle of the street, and when he looks up, there's a little boy on the bus looking at this whole thing go down. Their eyes meet. This whole section of the movie ends with a whopper of a scene. And if you're listening to this podcast, again, I assume you already know, I warned you about spoilers. Will's therapist is trying to get him to stop making up the story about his wife leaving him and deal with the reality of her death and his trauma. Because we also learn that the baby inside Abby survived the accident. But Will has not gone to see his baby, who is now staying at his parents' house. This is all too much for Will to deal with. He tells his therapist he doesn't want to be here anymore. She says it's mandated by the state for him to do these sessions. He pulls out a gun and blows his brains out right there in the therapist's office. Very shocking scene. My wife and I both jumped in our seats when it happened. Then the next section of the film follows little Dylan, their daughter who survived the accident. She's about six years old. She's being raised by her grandfather, Will's dad. The grandmother had already passed away, we learned. Fast forward, she's now 21. She's a troubled young girl grandfather is still alive but obviously worried about Dylan and he can't really handle her she goes out to some club performs with her band gets into a little fight and then she leaves the place and sits on some bench at a bus stop she's imagining the accident that killed her mother then the little boy on the bus that killed her mom the one at the front of the bus that saw the whole thing go down asks Dylan if she's okay this is all happening in her little imagination dream of the accident the next section or chapter of the movie follows a seemingly unrelated story about the Gonzalez family. It takes place in Spain on an olive farm. One of the workers there, Javier Gonzalez, is doing well. He impresses his boss, Vincent, played by Antonio Banderas. Vincent invites Javier to his office and tells him his story and about his parents and how he came into money and so forth. Javier gets a promotion and Vincent invites him to live on the premises to oversee the land. Javier agrees, and he tells his girlfriend, Isabel, we see the couple's deep and innocent romance. They marry and live on this property together and eventually have a son they name Rodrigo. Then the complication starts. Vincent, the boss, starts making frequent visits to Isabel when her husband, Javier, is working in the field. Javier comes in one day and sees this and, of course, disapproves. Then Javier, Isabel, and Rodrigo take a vacation to New York They're having a blast, and then they get on this bus, and Rodrigo is greeting everyone on the bus until he finally gets up to the driver and distracts him a little bit, which causes him to hit Abby, Will's wife. And now we learn the connection of this very different story and why it's in this movie. The boy that watched the accident at the front of the bus, the one that met eyes with Will, that we saw earlier in the film, is of course Javier's and Isabel's son, Rodrigo. Seeing this accident obviously traumatizes Rodrigo. He gets frequent nightmares. It only gets worse as time goes on. The parents are having trouble dealing with it. They don't have any money for treatment, but they decide to ask Vincent, Javier's boss, to help them out. At this point, Javier can't deal with the fact that his boss can offer his wife and child what he cannot, and he decides to leave them and take a job in Madrid. Very sad part of the film because Javier really loves Isabel. Isabel really loves Javier, Vincent loves Isabel and her son Rodrigo, but Isabel doesn't quite feel the same way about Vincent. In fact, when Javier leaves, she tells Vincent clearly that she will never love him like she loves Javier. Vincent understands this and accepts it. Chapter 4 follows Rodrigo as a young adult. He goes to college in New York, starts dating a girl that really isn't right for him. Vincent is still with Isabel, but Isabel is dying, I think, from cancer, if I remember correctly. The narrator lets us know that, as per Javier's request... Vincent has been sending him letters updating him about Isabel and Rodrigo for all these years. As a surprise, Vincent has Javier come and visit Isabel before she passes, and it's this beautiful moment with the three of them on her deathbed, Vincent on one side holding her hand, Javier on the other side holding her hand. No animosity, no unforgiveness, just love. Vincent calls Rodrigo in New York and lets him know his mother has passed. Distraught, Rodrigo decides to go for a run, and who does he come across? but Dylan, Will and Abby's daughter, sitting at a bus stop crying where we last saw her in the film. He asks her if she's okay, and now the whole story starts coming together. Dylan and Rodrigo become a couple, and we learn in chapter 5, the final part of the movie, that the narrator is in fact their daughter, Elena Dempsey-Gonzalez, and she's at a bookstore doing a reading of her book, Life Itself, detailing this entire story and everything that happened to her up until that point. And I thought it was a nice touch that she hyphenated her name so that it shows she is a product of both Dempsey, Oscar Isaac, and of course his wife Abby, and Gonzales, her father. Because the name itself signifies how it all connects at the end. So a brilliant way of interweaving different storylines because the narratives sort of work like individual novellas that connect in this larger multi-generational framework. So I really think this is worth experimenting with in your writing. I know I'm going to try it. The possibilities are pretty limitless. It could be something like following some guy's life until he bumps into someone, maybe has an altercation, and now all of a sudden we're following that character around. You could think of a way to bring back the first character later on. Lots of things you could do with this. I plan on having some fun with it. Okay, so the next method for writing longer fiction we're going to discuss is the use of multiple perspectives. Now, I know that sounds like what I was just talking about, but it's a little different. There was a movie back in 2008, if you remember, called Vantage Point. It was not such a good film in my opinion. Instead of life itself where you're following these different plot lines and characters and seeing how they interconnect with one another, the basic structure employed in Vantage Point is to tell the same exact story over and over again but through different people's perspectives. It's about an assassination attempt on the President of the United States. I did not like the film. It got redundant for me. But I do think it's a very interesting idea. I think it can work. What ruined it for me in this particular film is the setting and the events just repeating over and over again. So even though the perspective was changing from character to character, I found myself getting super bored with it. But this is definitely a way forward to consider. You just have to be creative with it. If you're trying to write a novel or some longer work, you may want to try this, get different characters to tell their side of the story. This way you have a few narratives automatically built into the very structure of the book then it's your job as the writer to weave these different perspectives into one cohesive story or not. Maybe you just put them all out there and have the reader try to figure it out. William Faulkner employed this device in his novel As I Lay Dying. One event, multiple perspectives, really allows a writer to explore the idea of truth and whether or not there can be absolute truth or if there are only different versions of truth. I have a detective in my family who likes to say there are three sides to every story, your side, their side, and the truth. There's objective reality out there, but humans have to interpret what exactly that objective reality is, and we're not always going to agree. You see this even in the Bible with the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three different people telling the same story, but they're different accounts. They still come out different based on individual perspective and the narrator's given focal point. If an architect, a fireman, and a lawyer walk into a room together, for example, they may see the room very different from one another. The architect may or may not like the overall layout of the room, and maybe he'd be thinking about how he would have designed it. The fireman might see some hazardous wiring in a corner somewhere. The lawyer might notice how slippery the floors are and how that's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. Same room, different perspectives. In this way, all history is biased when you think about it. We're all at the mercy of the historian and what they choose to include in that history or not. And as a writer of fiction, you can exploit this idea by telling your story through different character lenses. And now for our last method of writing longer stories. As I already mentioned, not only does life itself make good use of interweaving storylines, but it also employs a good deal of flashbacks throughout, especially during the first section when we're learning about Will's story and why he's seeing a therapist in the first place. Flashbacks can be risky. They're sort of like dream sequences. You need to use them sparingly. They can be disorienting if it's not clear that the scene you're now describing is in fact a flashback something that happened in the past, maybe some backstory that's needed to make sense of character motivation or something. I think the reason it works so well in life itself is because Will was struggling to accept the reality of his wife's death. He was trying to remember things in a particular way so that the finality of it wouldn't hurt so bad. This went along with the film's theme of the unreliable narrator. But I thought of a classic that uses flashback scenes quite a bit, and that's Homer's The Odyssey. Most of the adventures, Odysseus, went through on his way home from the Trojan War is told through these flashback stories, so it creates the effect of having a story within a story. That's it for Story King tips today. We went over interweaving storylines, multiple perspectives of the same event, and flashbacks as three different methods for writing longer works of fiction. Use them wisely, get creative, have fun with these ideas, experiment. If you do write a story and you'd like me to read it on the show, or if you have a writing prompt for me to write a 10-minute story, please email it to storykingpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to be a part of what we're doing on The Story King, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit my page at www.patreon.com forward slash King. The link will be in the show notes. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a very practical and tangible way to support your favorite content creators so they have the resources they need to continue producing more great content. I have three monthly subscription tiers you can choose from on Patreon, a $5, $10, and $20 option. All include receiving exclusive content, so be sure to check those out. Again, that's at www.patreon.com forward slash TheStoryKing. Please follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. The links are in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and write a positive review on iTunes for me. I'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Story King podcast, where great stories are read, discussed, and given their due honor. Please join us next time. Until then.